you grab a Bible if you've got one. Use your phone. Use whatever you have to, to be able to get the word in front of you. We, we love it when you can see it as we work through it. It really helps in the understanding process. Uh, and head over to Ephesians chapter 5. And today we're going to be focusing in verses 8 through 14. Uh, last week's passage was a, a command to us to be, to be imitators of God. Uh, to walk in love, to, to give of ourselves the way that Christ gave of himself for us. And yet it ended with this warning about people uh, who would seek to deceive you with empty words, uh, with theology, with a doctrine, with teaching that is not rooted in, in God's word. Uh, and so then today's passage is still under this idea of walking in love and what that means and uh, what that looks like. So we're going to go ahead and, and read here to begin with, and then we'll, we'll jump right in. We're going to start in verse 7, though. And we're going to start in verse 7 because the sentence begins there. And it just makes more sense to do that. So Ephesians 5, verse 7. <clears throat> Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The grass withers, the flower fades. <clears throat> Let us pray. Father, may our hearts and our minds be open to your word. May we hear what the scriptures say and may we understand what they mean and may we seek to bring our lives into harmony with your revealed will. And so push out our thoughts or any thoughts, any worries, any distractions uh, this morning that seek to, to distract us. And I ask that you give me discernment now to proclaim your word faithfully. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Christian, your, your past, our, our lives in this world without faith in Christ is called in this passage darkness. Now last, I mean, have you ever experienced true darkness? I mean the, the kind of darkness where you can't see your hand in front of your, your face. Maybe in a dark room, or if you've ever been out on a night when there is no moon and you, you find yourself just unable to function, it can be absolutely terrifying. It is almost always disorienting, and, and you find yourselves to feel helpless in these situations. And so what Paul here is saying then is that at one time you were darkness, not just in darkness, but darkness itself. You see, darkness is this, this symbol of ignorance. We... We call things, you know, in, in time, before the scientific knowledge, uh, we call that time the dark ages. The, the time when people tried to control the world using nothing but superstitions, right? We've mostly moved on to that from that. Today, only baseball fans try to control outcomes with superstitions. I'm wearing Astro socks as proof of that. Just kidding, I'm just wearing Astro socks. See, in the Holy Scriptures, darkness is, is also this picture of hell. In Matthew 8, 12, uh, hell is referred to as the outer darkness, right? So even darker than darkness, the outer darkness. We're born with sinful natures, you know that. 
We're born into darkness and we remain there until God shines his light into the darkness of our lives. And we know, right? But, but Christ is the great light. Christ is the great light that's come into the world. And when Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus, he gives him this new mission. And by the way, when he appears to him, he shows up as a bright light. It says, brighter than the sun. Um, and this is what he says, though. The new mission that he gives him is recorded in Acts 26, 18. And, and, and he says this. This is Jesus speaking to Paul. He says, I'm sending you to the Gentiles, you know, those who are not Jews, those outside the faith. And here's the reason. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So if your faith today is in Jesus, and it, then that means that you have turned from the darkness to the light. Uh, that's why Paul writes here in verse 8, you can see it in your passage or text before you, but, but now you are light in the world. He says not only that light dwells on us, but we are light. Now, lest that sound blasphemous, take note of a few details here. In the Lord we are called light. In the Lord. You know, if a, a light bulb is, is disconnected from the power source, it no longer lights up. It's just this fragile little thing that's real gassy, right? That's kind of us. Um, but in the Lord, in, in faith, you are light. Uh, the moon. The moon's probably a better picture of this even. You know, apart from the sun, the moon is just this dark orb floating in space. And, and yet when the sun shines upon it, we can see it at night. In fact, not only do you see it, but it reflects the sun's light back to the surface of the earth so much that it lights up a dark, the, the dark evening enough that you can see. Um, you know, so that even, even in the night, it's not completely dark because of that reflection. And really, you know, you, you think of this picture. Is there a better picture of our, our conversion? You know, that those of you who, who came to faith later in life, do you, do you see this, this marked difference in your, in your life from, from before to after? Right? Um, you know, whether you've trusted in the Lord as long as you can remember or, or later in life, you, you call on the Lord that the same is true here. The same is true when he's calling us here. To, to, he says this. He says, walk as children of light. John 8, 12 in the Gospels, John 8, 12 records a similar statement by our Lord. He said, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's Paul's main point here. To remember who you are in Christ. To reflect on that. And to live that out. In other words, Christian, be who you are who you really are in Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 6, there's this, this long list of what characterized us before we knew Christ, before faith, and before we've been redeemed. And then in verse 10, it reminds us of this. It says, but you were washed. Okay, this is who you are. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And then in verse 9 of our passage, do you see what it says there? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You know, if, if you plant an apple tree in your yard, what's the fruit you expect to grow on that apple tree? An apple, right? That's just the way it works. Those are the results we expect. You know, and so we're seeing these are the results we expect when we're children of, of the light. 
Uh, there's a similar thing. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we learn that the fruit of the Spirit, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if your faith is in Christ, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, the fruit expected in our passage, though, gives us a little different it's a, than that. Uh, you know? So we see this. What is it? It's goodness. It's It's righteousness. And it's truth. Those are the things that are expected here. And as you see those, you've got to understand, those are broad concepts that Paul is bringing here. They are, you know, really, they, they serve as a summary statement of what Paul's already been telling us in this book so far, what he's been talking about. Goodness, you know what goodness is. It's that kindness to one another. Righteousness, that's a uh, honoring and a, and a pursuit of obeying God's ways. Truth, that what comes out of our mouth is, is, is done so with integrity and honesty. You see, the fruit of, of light is the way that our lives impact others. The way that we, we show the glory of God and, and, and those we interact with. One of the things about tree is that the fruit doesn't benefit the tree itself, right? Um, it's always somebody else that's benefited from the fruit on a tree. And, and that's the way it is here. Um, verse 10 here is really interesting. Take a look at it. It says this, <clears throat> And try to discern... What is pleasing to the Lord? Um, you know, good parents love their children no matter what. Uh, no matter what. But there are things that our children do that are very pleasing to parents. Uh, you know, when they're willing to, to serve a friend, or, or when they, without being asked, suddenly start to, to help someone, or when they're showing patience to a sibling, any, anything. There's tons of these things that your child might do that is pleasing to you. Does a parent love that child more when they do those things? No. Um, but the parent is, is pleased. They're pleased to see their child actually live out this way. And also, you ever notice this, that no matter how old you grow, you still want to please your parents? It's a weird thing. Some of you younger people might not be able to make sense out of this yet, but you, know, you, can, be, you can be 40 years old and, and still want your parents to be pleased with you. You just are. You might not like the fact that you do, but you do. Uh, how much more our Heavenly Father? And I, and I want to emphasize again, because this is important, this verse is not about God's love for His people. It's not about the forgiveness of Christ for His people. It's about a way of life that is pleasing to Him, that He looks on your life and says, that, that gives me joy to see you living that way. And I also want you to understand, when He says to try and discern that, that this is not... God implying somehow that how to please God is some unknown mystery, right? Um, some of you know Laura was with a friend uh, recently. Her friend was a preliminary judge at the Miss America uh, pageant this year. And so she spent a, a lot of time surrounded by these, these judges that were mostly insulated from outside influences at this time. But she observed how difficult it was for a contestant to actually please these judges. Uh, because they wanted these, these contestants to be, you know, be bold in their answers, but only if the judge happens to agree with whatever they were being bold about. Um, if they weren't, then they should be flexible in their answers, their opinions. They wanted to see them be absolutely confident and, and yet to be humble. Uh, they wanted to see a, a servant's heart, but, but only until they had seen so many people with a servant's heart. And then they wanted anything different than that. Just be different than that person. There was no way to please them. They all had these different standards that were moving standards, like a, a moving target that can't be hit. And I remember Laura's uh, observation when she came back was it's basically a crapshoot. You just roll the dice and see who gets to be Miss America. 
God is not like that. It is not a mystery. You see, God has given us an, an entire book of revelation about who he is, what pleases him. We, we can know what pleases the Lord because he has revealed it to us. It's not a mystery. And in Proverbs 12, 22, we're taught that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, right? That's displeasing. But those who act faithfully is his delight. That's pleasing. Philippians 2 tells us that selfish ambition and that complaining uh, do not please God. But that humility and gratitude and unity among his children does please the Lord. And, and, and children, kids here, you know, stop coloring for just a moment. You can go back to it. Colossians 3.20 speaks to you directly. Colossians 3.20 is speaking to you and it says, Children, that's you, right? Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. I didn't add this pleases the Lord. That's in the scripture right there. Scripture reveals to us what pleases the Lord, but, but we also must use wisdom, right? Use discernment to, to understand, to, to apply this information to other issues in our lives. Um, you know, a husband might think to himself, you know, what, what pleases my wife? And, and some of it has to do with the things we, we don't do. Uh, you know, not leaving dirty clothes all over the house. That will please your wife. Um, you know, for, for my wife, don't, when, I, when I don't leave the house wearing three different shades of red uh, and Crocs on my feet, this pleases her. I don't always please her. <clears throat> uh, some of it's positive, you know, what, what do they want? You know, for Laura, Laura loves Reese's peanut butter eggs, and so uh, I give them to her when I see them in the store, I'll buy them for her. I, I don't complain that our refrigerator is still half full of, of Reese's peanut butter cup Easter eggs, and Easter was, what, almost six months ago now? Um, and I say that, I, I give that example because, you know, the more that you listen to your wife, your, your husband, your, your parents, your boss, whoever it is you really want to please, the more you actually listen to them, the more you understand what it is that actually pleases them. And if we want to please the Lord, we're going to need to be listening to the Lord, meaning we're going to need to be in his word, understanding what his character is like, understanding what does please him. And so if you find yourself saying, I have no idea how to please the Lord, it's, I'll tell you it's because we haven't spent enough time in his word understanding, listening to him. And so one of the most interesting parts about this is this little part here is that it says to try to discern. We don't see try in scripture very often. You know, try, um, Yoda would not like this passage, right? He's got that famous line. I know, it's like my fourth, fourth Star Wars reference. Um, but he's got that famous line, do or do not, there is no try. That's why Yoda would hate this, right? But Yoda's not real. You need to know that if you don't. <laughs> See, that's truth. Um, and God is. And God wants you to try. That's what he's saying here, try. And so I'll ask you this, do, do you try? Do you try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord in any given situation? Do you, do you try to do what is pleasing to the Lord? See, Christian, you're going to continue to struggle against sin your entire life. You just are. But there is a great difference between a Christian who is focused on pleasing God, where that's his pursuit, his desire, and someone who is still focused on merely pleasing themselves. You know, as Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, he says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. See how that changes where our focus on pleasing is? See, the, the, the truth is, in our culture, 
you might seem strange, a little weird, if you're trying to please God. And to that I can simply say, so what? Whoever said you're going to be normal? Nobody. Um, that's what it takes sometimes to, to please the Lord. Um, I have this, this written in the front of my, my Bible here. It's this quote, uh, John Piper said it back in 1999 to a bunch of college students. I was one of those college students now, and it seems so long ago. Um, but every Bible I've had since, I copy this verse into the front of it. They're not this verse, sorry. This quote, John Piper is not scripture. Um, and, and he says this, he said, Don't be like the world, be different. Love God, get your values revolutionized. And when I heard that as a college student, that was so refreshing of, okay, there's a thousand people I could be worried about pleasing, or I can worry about pleasing the Lord himself. And to have that sort of focus was just wonderful, you know? Get your values revolutionized, he said. And in other words, what he's saying here is, is that we are to embrace the call of 2 Corinthians 5, 9, which says this. Uh, whether, you know, it's saying whether you're alive or with the Lord or, or away from the Lord, meaning if you're alive or dead. And then he says this, we make it our aim to please him, to please the Lord. And 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, which says, we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And this, this word discern here means, means to test. It means to examine. That's, that's when you translate into the Greek, you start to see that. They're from the Greek. The, the Christian life requires that we learn to examine our hearts and our actions. And that means when you apply this to, to real-life situations, it can be broadly applied. But it's something like, uh, you know, is social media a good thing for my soul? Have you ever even stopped to discern, to think about that? Is this pleasing to the Lord? Is this something I should pursue? Or, or, or you know, moral questions you might have. Is, this, is the contraception that we're considering right in the eyes of the Lord? You ever think about that? You know, what's the best way I can glorify God in the job or the position, the stage of life that God has placed me in today? Is that a question you're asking? You know, what's, what's the best way? And, and so then, but before we speak with our lips, you know, before we open up Facebook, before we get settled onto the couch to watch a movie, before we, we click on this website or that website, we, we might ask ourselves just a simple question, will this please the Lord? Will this please my Lord? Or, or, or maybe, you know, more specifically, the, the fruit of light that we see here in verse 9, is, is this good? Is what I'm about to say or do, is this good? Is it right? Is it true? <clears throat> You know, will this please my Heavenly Father? And our passage isn't done here yet, and you'll see that there in verse 11. It changes a little bit here. We are told to, <clears throat> to take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, is the way it puts it. Works of darkness. The, uh, the Greek word here means no, no partnership, right? Um, and, and the idea of, of unfruitfulness here is the idea that nothing good is going to come about whatever work we're about to do. Nothing good's going to come about. I mean, nothing's going to come, but nothing good's going to come about. Don't, don't participate in evil action is what he's getting at. And so uh, you might wonder, well, what does that mean? Well, a far-fetched example, I hope it's far-fetched in your life, is that you wouldn't want to be the getaway driver for a bank robbery, right? You might, you know, driving a car, not against the law, got a license. Um, I didn't actually rob the bank. I'm just driving a car. And, and yet you would be participating in, in, in an evil work in that sense there. Um, a realistic issue <clears throat> might be underage drinking at a tailgate. Should you serve alcohol to a minor at a tailgate? 
Or even if you're 21, should you drink with minors who are also drinking at that tailgate? Or if, is it okay to be present where you know there is someone underage who is drinking? And don't assume my answers here. What I'm telling you is these are questions that take discernment to figure out. But, but that's the big question. Are you asking that question? What's pleasing to my Lord in this situation? You know, all this, though, you try to remember, Jesus was around sinners. He was kind. He was patient. But he didn't join in their sin. I mean, you can look back and see that. He didn't join in their sin. He didn't praise them for their sin. He didn't approve them for their sin. But, but he was around them. And the truth is we need to be around those who do not know the Lord if we are going to share the gospel with them. We, you know, if we live physically separated from those who need to know the gospel, then you put yourself out of reach to be able to tell them the gospel, to share the gospel. On the other hand, keep this in mind. The gospel won't mean much if we are, if, if we are not distinct in our lifestyles from unbelievers. You believe the gospel, I don't, but we're just the same in the way we live our life. What's the point, right? There's a distinction there. In other words, we are to be separate from sin, not from people who sin. Be in the world, not of the world, and, and yet certainly we are sent into the world to reflect the light of our Savior to the world. So again, the last portion of our passage here, we are learning that we are indeed to expose darkness. Nobody wants to do that, do they? Let's just leave it over there. Uh, it says specifically, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As Christians, we have a very important role that we are to be light in a dark world. That's the overarching thing you're seeing here. And I know, I know, there are many uh, who profess Christ in the world uh, only to encourage sinful ways of life. And, and, and I'm telling you that um, that's not right. We are to be light in the world. We are to express this in a way that is, is honoring to God. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5.14 said, You are the light of the world. A, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. That means we, we, we should be sensitive to what is sin. Truly sensitive, and I, I mean this. You know, too many of us are just absolutely numb to sin. We talked about that a little bit last week, but um, <clears throat> Brian Chappell has explained it this way. He says, when we are so familiar with the profane that it no longer offends, and we have forgotten how to blush because of it, then we are in grave spiritual danger. And so then this, this call to expose darkness is both negatively and positively. If you're asked, wondering how do we do this in the life, we, we do so negatively by uh, exposing sin as sin. We name it sin, sin. You know, be careful you don't start using all kinds of culturally uh, kind ways to call sin something other than that. You know, a mistake. No, call sin, sin. Uh, <clears throat> we do this positively by sharing the gospel and by living lives that reflect who we really are in Christ. When we, when we bring sin into the light, it, it cannot survive. That's kind of the point of exposing it, right? When you bring sin into the light, it cannot survive. Um, some of you that have known me for a while know I love to catch turtles. It's a weird hobby of mine. Uh, if I get around water and there are turtles in there, I'm going to end up in the water catching turtles. It's, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> at our presbytery camp, uh, we caught nearly a hundred of them one week. It's not a made-up number. Um, tons of them. We also ended up skipping them upside down at one point, and the guy there saw it, and, and we'll never do that again. 
Scary dude. Uh, <clears throat> so anyway, that's what I do. And, and one of the things I've, I've learned about turtles is you've probably seen them. They get up on those, those logs. They get up on the, the stones, on the you know, rocks on the side, and they sun themselves. So like spread out, and they're not paying attention. That's the best time to sneak up on them. Um, but I, I was wondering, why do they do that? And so I did a little research on it. And the idea is that when these turtles go down into the dark water, they stay out of the light, and this moss begins to grow on their shells. And it'll get on their arms and stuff as well. And, and it's really unhealthy for these turtles. And so that's the reason they get out. They get in the sunlight, and the sunlight will kill that moss. And, and it helps to keep them sell, uh, healthy. Basically, you know, to expose the moss to the sunlight kills the moss. Um, I also learned when I was looking some of the stuff up that sunlight kills germs. I don't know if you knew that. I, I didn't know that. I, I read this on this, this science website and it also said this. This is a quote from the site. It said, unfortunately, <clears throat> ultraviolet light can only kill germs it contracts, contacts directly. If germs find hiding places such as shaded cracks, they can stay safe from the sun's ultraviolet rays. Sin is like that. It cannot survive in the light, but it will flourish if kept hidden, right? If it's in the dark crevices, the shadows of our lives, it can flourish. Um, what do you learn from that? Well, we'll bring your sin to the light, right? You, you hear this idea of exposing sin. Well, the first place you want to expose sin is in, in your own life, um, you know? Um, be sure that, that we apply God's word to the culture in, in these situations, right? As we're thinking about that. As you're talking about exposing sin, we want to apply God's word to the culture, not, not culture to God's word. And, and I, I warn you here because there's two ways that Christians have responded over the, over the history of the world. Is, is some have gone on these witch hunts thinking we're to expose sin. That's not the idea here. It's not about a witch hunt. It's, it's not about shaming individual, any individual. You'll, you'll find, in fact, that confessing your own sin does more to expose sin in the culture, to the culture, than expressing mere outrage about somebody else's sin. And yet we see the exact opposite typically happening. And, and so then how do, we, how do we not even, how do we do this without having this holier-than-thou attitude, or how do we do this without seeming like we have this holier-than-thou attitude, and uh, you know, how do we avoid participation in the works of darkness without seeming super prideful or judgmental? Now, I'll tell you, Paul actually gave us some insight to this, some guidance back in chapter 4, verse 2, where he said this, he said to, to walk with all humility and gentleness and, and patience, bearing with one another in love, and there he's, he's speaking specifically to your engagement with other Christians, but certainly this is true in other ways as well. Um, you know, ask yourself this question, you know, when you're talking about someone else's sin, you know, what, what's your reasoning for this? What's going on in your heart at this moment? Do you care about this person? Right? Do you want to reveal sin so that someone can see how good you are and how bad they are? Or do you want to reveal the sin or expose the sin in their life for the sake of them? You know, are you angry at them for embracing sin? Or are you concerned for them? Are you worried for them? See, confrontation of, of true sin is always better when someone feels known and cared for because they are known and cared for. When they know that your concern is that the sin harms them, that it robs, robs them of, of joy, that it robs them of the satisfaction that can be found in Christ, the forgiveness there. In verse 14 here, we read this, Anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleep, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That awake, O sleeper, right? We use a similar uh, 
phrase in our culture when, when we know someone has, um, is making habitual decisions that are of great danger to their life, uh, say they're addicted to some, some sort of, of drug or uh, gambling, whatever it might be, and it's just deep into their life. You know, we use this phrase, you know, they really need a wake-up call. Or something happens to them and they say, well, maybe this is a wake-up call for them. That's, that's the idea here is that sometimes when, when sin is exposed, it becomes the catalyst for repenting of that sin. And I don't mean just you know, feeling sorry that you got caught or embarrassed that someone got caught, but, but truly a contrite heart because of our sin and the exposure of it is what kind of brings it about. Uh, Chuck Colson, many of you probably know that name. He was uh, working in, in D.C. and he was convicted of um, covering up the Watergate scandal along with uh, Richard Nixon uh, and, and his sin was exposed and at that time someone gave him a copy of Mere Christianity. It's a wonderful book if you've not read it. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote it and, and, and uh, shortly after that he, he came to faith in Christ. And he said on many occasions later how thankful he was that, that God brought his sin into the light because the, by exposing his sin to the light, it drove him to the cross. See, if, if you have hidden sin in your, your life, don't, don't wait. And I'm not saying you have to go post this on your Facebook or tell everyone, but, you know, be the one that exposes it to someone. Be, be the one that brings it to the light, you know. Um, Bring it where it can be dealt with, where, where you can experience the, the joy of forgiveness, where you can have uh, people come alongside you as you battle for victory over this sin. Well, let's, let's wrap this up. We're, we, are, we were once darkness, but now we are light. And so, Christian, that's a, a call to you to, to shine, right? To shine. It's, a, it's, it's as simple as that wonderful, wonderful children's song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine. Um, it's as simple as that. And, and this, you know, that's a life goal, the disciple of Christ, you know. You know, you remember the Apostle James, when, when he's writing in his book, he says this, that life is a vapor. It's here today, it's there for a moment, and, and then life is, is gone. That's your life. There's no avoiding it. There's nothing you can do about it. Life is a vapor. That's just a, a mere fact of existence, and there's nothing you can do about it. But the question remains, are you, are you spending that life well? Are you seeking to please your Lord? Are, are, you know, what's your, what's your life's goal, your ambition? What's your, your purpose for getting up each day, your purpose in life? How does your desire to, to please the Lord work into your life goals, your career goals, or anything that is, is going on in your life? Uh, you know, how are you seeking to bring your will and the will of God into harmony? That's a huge question for us to answer as Christians. You know, how are you seeking to bring your will and the will of God in, into harmony? If we're disciples of Christ, if, if we are children of God, the Father, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, then, then our main priority, our highest pursuit in all of life will be to see Jesus shine in our own lives and into the world of darkness that we dwell in. And so keep telling yourself this week, you know, when you, when you find yourself face-to-face -face with selfish people, remind yourself of who you are in Christ. I am, I am the light of the Lord. You know, when, when you're frustrated because you're reading some political headline somewhere, remind yourself, I am the light of the Lord. When you're tempted to sin in, in front of your screen or anywhere else, just remind yourself, I am the light of the Lord. And when you want to be bitter at some injustice, you know, something done to you or to someone else, and you want to be bitter, just remind yourself, I am the light of the Lord. 
And then be who you are. Be who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.